Welcome to Soundbreaker. I'm your host, Bob Shammy, and we are about to break the silence. Join me as we go behind the scenes and meet some of the most influential names in the music industry. Get ready for remarkable success stories that break the norms and defy the odds. From dreams to success, from challenges to victory, an exclusive backstage pass into the lives of music trailblazers as they create their own path to success. This is Soundbreaker. Welcome to Soundbreaker. On today's episode, we're talking to Maya Ackerman, who is a groundbreaker in the music industry. Thank you for joining us today. Uh, for our listeners who might not be familiar with you, could you please introduce yourself and tell us about what you do? Of course. Thank you so much for having me. My pleasure. Um, I'm CEO, co-founder of Wave AI, and a professor of computer science and engineering. I have been doing generative AI before it was cool to do so since about 2014. And uh, it's been really amazing to see sort of the entire world move now uh, in this direction. The whole world is moving definitely towards it. Yeah. <laughs> some people scared, some people give it bad publicity or negative publicity. But I think we should not. We should embrace it. We should definitely embrace it. It's uh, it's a complicated, a complicated moment. I think we're gonna get into it. We're definitely gonna get into it. Um, uh, we'll go back a little bit uh, in history, and we'll say, how did you start it in the music industry? It was quite a path. I was originally on the sort of academic route for a long time. Got my PhD in computer science in the University of Waterloo, focusing on machine learning, then did a postdoc at Caltech, became a professor in 2014, uh, focusing on computational creativity, which is really generative AI before a lot of people were thinking about it. But what ended up being really important in my career path uh, was um, voice lessons that I took during my PhD for fun. Uh -huh. I really, really fell in love with music making, learned how to sing opera, started performing, and then wanted to write my own songs. So it was really this, this one magical moment. You know, they say it all happens in one magical moment that you prepared for for years. So yes. there was one magical moment in 2014, and I'm like, I can build tools that would help me write music. And in the same moment, it was already sort of that seed that it wasn't going to help just me. So uh, just a minute. So I would say, can I say that music wasn't something since your childhood? or influenced by any, anything in the past, or family, mom, dad, or anything else? Well, Something came I, later on? In reality, it started earlier, and then there was sort of a forced break. When my family moved out of the Soviet Union, you know, yeah. uh, the ruble was worthless. So yeah. uh, my grandparents bought a piano, which they sort of immigrated with, and suddenly mm -hmm. had a piano. So I had three years of um, piano lessons. And I really, really, really loved playing piano. And then when we sort of immigrated again, um, my parents couldn't afford an instrument. So I had a really painful forced break from music until I was an adult and sort of had my own means to restart on that. Hmm. So there was that love of music when you were a kid because you were playing piano and other instruments. I don't think there's anything more enjoyable than, than making music. Are you, are you also a developer, an actual coder? You code and develop yourself? 
I have three degrees in computer science. Because um, I was, yes. Okay. I just want to make sure <laughs> I heard it right because you said I studied computer science. I'm like, so you're actually a developer. You could code. I can code. Yeah. Usually yes. I don't have time to code these days, but <laughs> I've definitely coded my share. <laughs> so you're definitely multilingual. You speak computer language and other languages also. Yes. Yes. Um, you lived many places. Uh, you lived in ex-Soviet uh, Union, then you moved to Israel, Canada, and now the, uh, the States. Uh, this whole definitely multicultural living and all of that, how did it shape you as a person and influence your business? I think it contributed a lot to who I am. Um, Please. A lot of it was very challenging. You know, it, it's when you move countries, it's very different from traveling. You are sort of... You know, on a different planet, stuff you take for granted in one place is completely different. Things that's considered good in one culture can be considered unacceptable in another. It's it's very extreme. And these three, like North America versus, you know, communist Russia, that was wild. And then Israel, are very, very different cultures from each other. I think uh, sort of on the positive side of it, it showed me that nothing has to be the way it is. Mm-hmm. You know, they, your parents tell you, you ask a question and they're like, well, it has to be like this. But then you move to another place and it's not like this. So you realize that it's okay for you to come up with a different way to do things. Absolutely. Yes. And you learn a lot. You definitely learn a lot. Yeah. You learn it. You know, I kind of like learn through three very different languages by age 12, three very different ways of understanding the world. Um, it, it was quite a way to grow up. You speak yeah. uh, obviously Russian, uh, Hebrew, and English. Yeah, and course. computer language, which is coding. That's and... another language on its own. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I would I would say you are the authority uh, of when it comes to AI. I mean, you started when two thousand fourteen. You were telling me a little while you were thinking like in two thousand fourteen when you're taking voice lessons, like I could create something. So your mind on it started really early before many people started, even some of the big wigs or the big companies, you know. That's right. Most most companies like Google, IBM, Microsoft mm. started entering around 2016. Yes. Um, later. Yes. So it was, it was actually kind of, that was such a wonderful part of my journey, this whole research yeah. community, computational creativity. I discovered it by accident. I was attending a workshop called ITA, Information Theory Applications in San Diego, yeah. And um, there was like a little kind of talk series, just three little talks about computational creativity. And I remember thinking to myself, okay, I have to make sure I don't miss this session. Mm-hmm. And I go into the auditorium um, and there is Harold Cohen there who mm-hmm. built one of the first computational creativity systems in existence back in the 80s. He had a system called Aaron, which is an automated painter. And uh-huh. I remember him on stage and he was basically like yelling that people are calling his system creative. But he's really the creative one. And I was so mesmerized, like somebody thinking about it, somebody's building creative machines and thinking whether the machine is creative or the person is creative. Anyways, I followed a couple of researchers after the talk for a long time, asked them all the questions I could, mm-hmm. and discovered that there's a whole research community of computational creativity. And as I learned more and more about them, I was honestly shocked that nobody mm-hmm. that the world wasn't all over this. And so, you know, of course, you know, I got into it, became kind of a permanent member of that research community, switched my whole research field to that. The first year professor, which in academia is a very risky move. Anyways, all these years, you know, these companies slowly start getting involved in this. 
And mm -hmm. I never expected what happened back last November. I wow. honestly was perfectly happy to spend my whole life on this topic without it ever becoming kind of like mainstream popular. <laughs> I mean, did, did I would say ChatGPT kind of uh, open the door for to the public? We're like, wow, okay, they accept it? It was uh, what kind of gave it the initial push was actually stability. Yeah. The fact that the CEO <laughs> of Stability AI had managed to raise so much money over yeah. 100 million back in last November, exactly a year ago. That's what really starts shaking things up. That's because I, I followed this because I, I have this ability into the venture world. Yeah. Suddenly all my investors are informing me about stability. What do you think? Boom, 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 boom. And then like a few days later, it explodes. And then a month mm. later in December is when ChatGPT is launched on the tailwind of this massive of, thing. Yes. Of, of stability. Stability is kind of the way it shook up the, the whole thing. Yes. Yeah, the venture world. So it's, it also shows you, I mean, in a way, it's not surprising, but it does show you how much power the venture world has to wake up things, mm. right? It's not, it wasn't consumers that woke up to it first. It was the investors. I think that's important for understanding how the world functions. Investors, the one who really kind of woke up to it, you're saying more. Yeah, and then right after that was a big ChatGPT thing. But even before ChatGPT, this motion for about a month was already yeah. really, really strong. So mm -hmm. it's, you know, and this stuff has existed well before the 1980s. So it's not like it didn't exist before. Like right now, we're waking up to the fact that, for example, vertical models are the way to go for most applications. Well, vertical models is what we've had for decades. So this is not, the field is not really being invented right now in a cohesive sense. Humanity mm. had this before. It's just got popularized. But why hasn't been used or pushed onto the public? Was it too early or the money was there? The money's there. The, the technology is there. So why hasn't been exposed? Well, the money wasn't there. Not really. Um, because, no. uh, well, to develop it. Yeah. Uh, well, people, people built it in academia. People started building it as part of the big companies. So I think what this shows to us very clearly is that what the world is aware of is yeah. not directly proportional to what's wonderful and amazing and good. Good for people is, you know, there's some argument about that, but it's, it's really not about impact and quality. It's about where the money is at. And if you were fundraising back in 2017, 2018, like I was, investors had no clue and no interest in this, right? And I'm, I'm not mm. here to, I'm not here to complain by any stretch, but it's, it's just the awareness wasn't there on their side. Um, so, and when there is no money going into something, when there is no advertising dollars, then people don't know. And mm -hmm. so you can have the most amazing tool on the planet. We probably today have a whole bunch of incredible innovation that nobody knows about, that hardly we, So you're saying we won't see them till probably five years from now, 10 years from now? Whenever or, or, or 100, right? Whenever oh, yes. the wins come so that people in power, the investors, people with money, uh, have the ability then to inform the public about it. I mean, why did ChatGPT become so popular in December? Is because OpenAI decided to give it a mass massive push funded by Microsoft. I mean, the kind of amounts of money that are really unfathomable for most companies. Mm. Hmm. How much money behind it went in for ChatGPT for marketing and all of that? You oh know. my goodness, I mean. <laughs> oh, I don't to know develop it. The exact number, I mean, just yeah. to, just, just to build the models and they've iterated on these models and build other ones is tens of millions of dollars hmm. just to create the model, just the R and D that they did. 
And then, I mean, you can imagine that the numbers must be comparable for PR because actually successful PR, successful marketing to wake yeah. up the world to something, it's extremely yes. expensive. You know, people like to say, oh, well, you know, if it's a good product, people will come. If it's a good product and people know about it, they will come. Mm. Interesting. Um, earlier you mentioned, uh, you know, your incredible education credentials, uh, very impressive. I mean, PhD. Um uh, it doesn't get any better than this, obviously. Uh, but and also, you were named Woman of Influence by Silicon Valley uh, Business Journal and many other uh, publications. Out of all this uh, incredible uh, accomplishments that you had in your career, is there one that stand out the most or have a special place in your heart? Oh, thank you. That that is a that is a very nice question. You know, this is this is hard for me because I come from a Jewish family out of Eastern Europe. Yeah. Where my family, my ancestors were not allowed to get an education very often, were not allowed to pursue PhDs. My mother wanted to do a PhD and wasn't allowed because of, because of being Jewish. So mm -hmm. it's a very, um, so a very heavy responsibility around that for me. Um, so when I remember when I was in college, I was thinking, um, how do I make research that's actually impactful? I don't want to write publications that nobody reads. And I don't want to open companies that, you know, make products that nobody uses, that, which is kind of... Um, but came up for me later. I think what I'm probably most proud of are the objective accomplishments that I've done through my research, through my work, which is, you know, a couple of million people have used our products. We've had a number one hit made with our AI. We've had multiple viral songs. And it's, it's that, I think, that really has meaning at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. Oh, definitely. We're going to dig in deep into AI. What does it do? What does it offer? And what, what else is doing? We're going to dig into it. Absolutely. I'm very intrigued by it, uh, you know, by the way, very intrigued. Um, also, <laughs> you know, I cannot keep repeating the same word, but you have so many backgrounds beside the education, impressive education. You're also a singer and a songwriter combined with your software knowledge, engineering and expertise. You found yourself, I'm sure, in a very unique position, which you mentioned earlier in the conversation. Um, how do you believe the combination has contributed to your success in Wave AI? I think it was absolutely necessary. I don't think you can make, um, well, you can, I guess, technically, but I don't think I could have made a good musical AI company, um, especially in generative AI, which was not hot for many years when we were active yeah. in market, without, um, without my background in music. It was, the company was entirely motivated by my own struggles with songwriting. Mm -hmm. I, I love making music. It's sort of in a way that really doesn't compare to anything else. And when I was struggling with it, um, when I kept writing songs that were not aligned with what I was feeling, it was very, very frustrating. Mm. Uh, and being able to, to then write better as we were building out these tools was very, very personally meaningful to me. Um, in a way that's sort of hard to convey because it just makes for such a good story. But mm -hmm. it, it's sort of not what it's about. It's, it's a very genuine, very personal journey for me of finding a way to help myself express myself better. Um, and the fact that it's now helping millions of people do the same is, is meaningful in a kind of surreal way. <laughs> well, that's why we're here on Sunbreak, to tell the story, you know, you know, to, uh, to let the people know your struggles and, and your success and your passion. You know, it was it was almost all struggles for a long time. Um, it's one thing that sort of I think people know that there are struggles in doing startups, 
but just the yeah. extent of it, the amount of personal sacrifice, the amount of financial sacrifice, the amount of like... Did you build the first model yourself, the beta model of Wave AI? Did you so, actually code it, build it yourself, or you had to also hire outside so the The coder? first version, I got back from the International Conference on Computational Creativity years and years ago. And I yeah. spoke to David, David Loker, who's our CTO right now. Him and I have written a whole bunch of papers on cluster analysis and search engine optimization before. And I had to convince him, I'm like, David, you should do it. Let's, let's build this. And I let's, let's take something that takes lyrics and have it come up with melodies. And luckily he agreed. Uh, he, he actually built the initial prototype. And then, um, yeah, we're very, me, me and my two co-founders, it's a very, very, very tight group. Um, yeah. Very much are joint decision making and a lot of a lot of joint vision. And how, I remember how long it took to build the first model. Oh, pretty and, fast. How long it took? Yeah, it was like a couple of months, and David was uh -huh. done with an initial prototype. Wow! And I remember, like, we had, of course, no user interface, no proper notation, and he printed it for me on it's really funky format where it's like letters were associated with notes, but not the proper even associations of letters with <laughs> notes. And I sat uh -huh. on that on the on my like piano and tedious notation i converted it and i played the music on the piano interesting like, oh my god i can write music now mm -hmm. it, it was such an incredible moment it was so surreal but then you know you, you come up with it's almost like you discover gold you walk around in your neighborhood and suddenly you run across this like mountain of gold and you go around and you tell people and they're like um can gold make money <laughs> you know like really can you prove it first right that was there was a lot of positive. I mean, we got some really good press very quickly. There were a lot of people asking to use it, but there was also yeah. so much negativity, so yeah. much of it. And there was so much more like rejection, orders of magnitude, more rejection and kind of go away. Tell me, come back when you're already making money. Um, of course you need money to make money. Really. That's usually the way it works. Mm -hmm. Just so much rejection, so much criticism. It's such incredible amounts that, I just had to keep relying on the fact that I know what we have and just that the other people are wrong. And you know, that's, I think that's really what has led to our success is this ability to believe in, to believe in myself, my team, to believe in ourselves. Really, so, what hardly anyone else did for a long I time. See, I believe so. So you had really no money coming in or no investors in the beginning, as far as like nobody, you said everybody was giving you rejections, didn't believe in the idea. So you guys built it and made it work on your own, you and David, your CTO. And David, and then uh, so Chris, who was my student at Florida State, joined the project pretty yeah. quickly as well. So it was kind of the story yeah. of us just in pure research mode for three years. Yeah. Then in late 2017, we finally opened the company. FEC put in a small check of 25000 and we were uh -huh. so happy. We were like, okay, this is great. They're going to introduce us to more investors now. We're going to raise millions. Like, we yeah. thought it was going to be like one, two, three, yeah. done. Yeah. Um, I was sure. And then um, the investors, sort of the initial investor, did give us a lot of introductions. Yeah. And it came this like brutal rejection after rejection after rejection. Sometimes I would walk into a meeting, and they would look at me, and I felt like the meeting was over. Like sometimes I had this vibe that I just wasn't what they were expecting. Um, looks could kill <laughs> immediately. Right? I could just yes. tell that like somehow I didn't know the game. They were not, that somehow it was really, really crazy. I yeah. have never, ex well, I have almost never experienced this level of rejected, rejection in my life. 
in a way, I'm really glad that I've had some experience with rejected earlier as a kind of prep. Um, it was brutal. I can see why a lot of people would not persist with the most incredible ideas just to mm -hmm. not have to tolerate this, this kind of environment of constant rejection. Um, but I just knew, I knew beyond any doubt that what we have is amazing and that's a new way to make music. And the entire planet could yell at me concurrently that I'm wrong and I wouldn't. Mm. It wouldn't change my opinion. It hurts, but it doesn't change how I understand the world. I see. Is the word AI re lately been misused? Like anything automated, people say, oh, AI, AI driven, AI operated, AI. A little bit, would I've you? A lot of patience around that. I think, yeah. um, you know, as somebody who has been kind of researching AI for so long, I've kind of learned yeah. that it's not fair yeah. to expect people kind of to have the same nuance. Um, yeah. Uh, definitely a lot of stuff that's automated is not AI, of course. Yes, um, sure. A lot of AI's, AI and machine learning are not identical as well, even though that's often gets used in that way. Generative AI is a very special sub-branch. Mm -hmm. um, large language models or large models are by far not the only or not even the best way often to mm -hmm. do generative AI. So there's a lot of nuance in it. One thing that I really enjoy doing is kind of giving talks about it and mm -hmm. explaining these ideas in really simple terms. Mm -hmm. It's fun. Um, <laughs> the music industry <laughs> is scared of AI. I'm sure you've seen it every day, whether it's on LinkedIn, on so many publications. You know, I see a lot of that. And considering your deep knowledge uh, in music and AI, how you envision Wave AI impact the music industry as a whole, uh, you know, preserving the essence of creativity in the industry? Yeah, yeah. Oh, so many thoughts here. So Please share them. <laughs> the way that I understand generative AI, and it's not to say that that's the only facet of it, but the way that I really can yeah. see it is that, you know, we've been independently creative for so long, kind of in little communities. Yeah. And then we had the printing press and we started writing down words and music notation. And then we put it up all on online. And now we're building these brains, which uses mm -hmm. data to be creative on a scale that just was not conceivable before. Yes. And I think that that's really a phase in our own evolution. It's like these machines have creative capabilities that are not, not exactly better than ours. But they're different mm -hmm. than ours and beautifully complementary. And we can get out of it a kind of creativity, a kind of new works of art by collaborating with it that were really not possible before. And I think that's amazing. I think it's, it's one of the most amazing things that have happened in my lifetime. The problem is that this crazy wild being, this, these crazy brains that we can build right now are yeah. not very well fit within our way of doing business in the world in general in music in what do you mean so each right now kind of something is worth something if somebody can make money on it for the most part right and we have seen various ways that this paradigm causes problems but essentially if if there is this amazing song let's say and again it's not the only way that it manifests but for example this amazing song gets created it's trained on like the works of for simplicity 5,000 different humans, mm -hmm. right? Who does it belong to? How do we split the royalties? How do we make sure that each person is compensated? How about the developer? Should they get compensated, right? So these questions about copyright and money become so stressful for people. 
And I mean this respectfully. I think it is very stressful. If your music is putting bread on the table and feeding you and your kids and putting a roof over your head, of course you're going to be, you're going to care more about what it's going to do to your livelihood than about this kind of like. Is it because the music actually, you know, the, uh, well, the AI, generative AI, is it because it's getting all its data, all its information from a certain set of, of compositions? It's really tricky. It works differently for different systems. Um, yeah. I think most tricky is a kind of stuff that's been really popular where it's so blatantly copying people. You can even like hear it. <laughs> Really kind of like blatantly misusing yeah. people's likeness, people's yeah. style. That's like, I was really shocked and appalled that this kind of stuff was happening. So there's really, really good pushback against that. Yeah. But even with that, it's like, okay, so what do we do? How do we build these systems in a way that actually helps artists make a livelihood? Right. And that's, that's where a lot of, and then I think some of the bigger players in the music industry, kind of the non-artists, but sort of other stakeholders are also really nervous about their role. Is it going to change what they're supposed to do? Is it going to impact their livelihood? And a lot of people just don't want anything to change at all, which honestly, I totally get. I understand that perspective. They're kind of like, on the one hand, you hear comments like, we don't want to make the same mistakes as with streaming. And mm -hmm. on the other hand, you kind of feel some of the same attitude of like, can it please not change? You know, you feel that from people. And I think, I think as music technologists, it's important to be empathetic to that, to not brush it aside, to not say that it's secondary. And God forbid to not say that these people are wrong because they're not. They're expressing like people what? who people who are sort of against all of this generative AI stuff in music. Yeah. They're yeah. not exactly wrong. They're expressing an extremely valid perspective. And I think we need to listen very carefully and try to operate as, as ethically as we humanly can. Because as much as I think that musical AI is amazing, it is. It's been it had an incredible impact on my own music yeah. writing, the way that's been. Mm -hmm kind of almost spiritual, like really, really incredibly positive. Mm -hmm. But we need to realize that we're treading on territory that's well established and work with musicians and with the music industry to take it forward rather than backwards. What do you think of the, um, uh, as far as the um, the DSPs, the digital streaming platforms, what's their, you think they're kind of input on it or they kind of on the sideline because they're already using AI in different ways. They don't want to contribute to any of that, you know, negative or positive, just, you know, let it be. It's, um, they have a pretty good egg nest for the most yes. part. All right. They sort of overtook, um, music consumption, which is kind of yes. amazing when that happened. Yeah. Um, I think they're not in a rush. I think that they're, they have a pretty mm. good position. I think for the most part, they're sort of observing and, yeah, they have, um, it's really the startups that are pushing this because everyone else that has power in the music industry is all pretty, pretty content for the most part. Just watching, just watching. On the watching, sideline. preparing a little bit, yeah. kind of, yeah. um, it, this has been interesting. Some people are jumping on it. Some people are like, okay, we want to do something. Uh, but it's mostly the technologists where I'm seeing that behavior yes. from. But there are some forward thinking people in other aspects of the music industry, yes. you know, in full of artists, um, some people really at all at all aspects of the music business who want to be the first movers. And I think these first movers are going to have a lot of power in the long term because they're going to get a chance to set things how they want. So I would actually invite people to sort of don't wait. Don't wait for other people to set the game. You set the rules, you know, work with technology companies, figure out how you want this built. I mean, we are licensing out our APIs for the first time and people are 
really knocking down our door saying, give it to me faster. Like, I want this as soon as possible, um, which is great to see people sort of embracing the technology. Don't wait on the sidelines. It's, I don't I really don't think it's a good strategy. Uh, your users mostly the public or there's also, should I say, industry users? Uh, there's know. both. Yeah, we've been yeah. really kind of growing. So for a long time, it was more kind of direct to direct so, to so, you know, I don't mean to be ignorant, but at least for our listeners, everybody knows, Wave AI, what, do, what kind of services, what does it do exactly? Uh, write lyrics or melodies? Does it generate music from A to, a to Z? So where we really specialize is yeah. the kind of singer-songwriter part here, yeah. the yes. songwriter component. We have the world's yeah. best models for lyric creation and rap creation. These are really the only professional quality models that are built only for that purpose. Our models don't do anything else. And then mm. we'll have models for top line, uh, top line melody generation. And that's really what gets stuck in your head. The singer singing the top line. That's what mm. people most associate with a song. And mm. that's what we generate. And everything our AI generates is completely original. That's its purpose. Not to give you the correct song, the most likely, the most like familiar, but mm. really expand the space of possibilities. Let songwriters explore different options. So there's lots of use cases to that, but that's really our strength. And we're building out that library of more and more uh, API tools that are relevant. Does it help a music producer who's uh, creative in the music composition side? Does it help to compose, like, I want to create a beat. I want to create an instrumentals for now. I don't know if it's going to write a song, give it to a writer to write lyrics for it. I just want to see, what does would, would a music producer be able to use the services Wave AI offer or no? So we have mostly for use it in order to expand their abilities in order okay. to vocal lines. Uh, a lot of musical AI companies, a lot of which I think do a fantastic job on the mm -hmm. background music part. That's yeah. what most companies are focusing on. We are on purpose focusing on the part that really did not get enough attention. Mm -hmm. Okay, interesting, interesting. Um, Obviously, throughout the, the the interviews, we're, we're going to keep bringing Wave AI and other things about AI. You know, it's very, <laughs> very fascinating. Uh, as we all know, the music industry full of setbacks. And I'm sure uh, during your journey, you had plenty of them, as you mentioned. And a lot of them are very personal touching to you. Um, uh, any uh, challenges that kind of um, you face that you would like to share, but also you overcome it? Yeah, so the challenges have been so, so, so many. One of the mm -hmm. ones that sort of, the one that takes the crown was that after three years of running Wave AI, we were yeah. finally, finally had a, a deal struck with an Asian karaoke company where we were going to oh. do a ton of stuff together. We build a proof of concept for them uh, in their language. It was incredible. They flew out to meet us here. Um, it was such a wonderful relationship, you know, for a young startup. So it was, um, March 11th, mm -hmm. the day flew in, um, and pretty much right after they left, the pandemic hit in 2020. Mm -hmm. And uh, karaoke, of course, is not a thing during the pandemic, and so we lost the deal. And Oof. I'll never forget those first few weeks after three years of building up a business, really bootstrapped with massive, massive emotional and financial sacrifices on a, on a, on a personal level. Um, to have suddenly lost everything during the pandemic when it's already when the pandemic was like bleeding with loss as is. Mm. And that's really when the pandemic started for me. Wow. And uh, I remember having very serious conversations with my co-founders. It's like, do we continue? 
And uh, one of my co-founders said, well, you know, we got it this far. That means we have something valuable. So I think we should. Um, we didn't get paid for years with that. Wow. For two wow. years, the, word, the salaries were paused, which was incredibly difficult. You know, again, it was during the one of the hardest times internationally. Like yes. things were hard enough as is. We couldn't see people. Like, um, we couldn't meet up. The co-founders couldn't properly meet up at the frequency that we used to is a kind of normal, social, positive way that was always you know, kind of feeding the soul. Um, and, and we persisted. That's really the most amazing part to me. Even looking back, it's like, what gave us a strength to persist then we completely pivoted. We went down the B2C route. We're like, okay, we'll just yeah. build out a product, we'll sell it to people directly. And we had $10,000 left in the bank by the time Lyric Studio was built, which is surreal. $10,000 is nothing for a business. It is a drop sure. in the bucket. Um, it's not even enough. It's not even but a lot. What made it easier? You're both developers. You, you, you and your partner, David. You well, know, three you of us. Somebody else. Three, and, yes. And, All three of you. Yes. By that time, and Chris, um, yes. We had Ronan as well, who did actually. Ronan kind of came up with the concept for Lyric Studio based on a more complicated product that we held called Alicia, which had yeah. the lyrics, which had a yeah. lot of the components of our AI. And he's like, I think we should just pull out just lyrics and do just lyrics. Uh, so it was it was really a team effort. It's always I mean, great. One person can't do anything serious yes, no, world. No. Um, yeah this was this was insane just trying to operate a company with no money was yeah just the most and then you managed to raise money after <laughs> then we raised and after we made six hundred thousand in revenue in 2021 then we raised the pre-seed in the beginning of 2022 we raised again at the beginning of this year and mm -hmm. now we're raising again uh, let me ask you something not to interrupt uh, your train of thought in order to raise money, you have to show that you're making money? You know, some people don't have to. It kind of mm -hmm. depends on how well embedded you are in the ecosystem. I think mm -hmm. um, if people, I mean, it's just the truth of it. And, and I think it's not a secret. Like, if yeah. you have really good connections, if investors have other reasons to kind of know you and trust you, Mm -hmm. Then uh, a lot of people raise on a napkin, you know, a lot of people raise on, raise a lot of money. Like it's, and it's very disorienting when you're a new founder and you see that mm -hmm. happening. Like we'd go to meetings and they'll be like, come back when you're actually making money, come back when you have a ton of users with great retention. And Is that the common, the common line that you hear, you know, always uh, come back always when you're making money? I mean, right now, you know, we made over a million dollars last year and they're like, come back when you have five. Like there's always another milestone. Like it's really... Yeah has no limit to the amount of new milestones that people can come up with. But ultimately, investors invest in many, many different phases. And Correct. some people have an easier time and some people have a harder time. And it's a, it's a complicated thing. It's a, it's a very multifaceted system. Uh, a very, very good one is having personal relationship, personal connections. There is really personal ability yeah. to raise them. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, if your company is doing exceedingly well, if it's growing so much, you can't pour enough money into your servers. There is a level of success at which at which doesn't matter who you are, people are going to compete to invest. But most people are somewhere in the middle, right? Even if you have the most amazing product, your servers are probably not, you know, not, not failing because of so much demand that you can't meet. Um, and it's it's in that gray zone that persistence really pays off for you to figure out how your startup how the kind of person that you are yeah. can manage to find the money you need to build out your vision. Hmm. Uh, what's the highest expense in your business? Is it servers? Is it, well, you are developers, but is it, what is it? The most, the highest salary, you know, just, just salaries. It's a vacuum, vacuum of money. 
Uh, it's, it's really just, just paying people. Uh, it's a pretty lean operation all in all, which is why uh-huh. we were able to do what we did when we didn't take salaries for a couple of years is because, I mean, each one of us co-founders are worth millions of dollars a year in industry. So yeah. with zero funding, with all of us willing to work for free for several years, it's yes. really kind of like silent millions of dollars that we have invested. <laughs> yes. Um, collaboration is a, is a key element in the music world. Uh, you know, any memorable collaboration that kind of uh, someone you work with left an impact on you? Oh, so many people. Yes. It's really, in the end of the day, it's a village. It takes a village. Oh my God, where do I even start? I mean, one of the earliest magnificent thing that happened to us as far as working with artists is um, Devon Terrell, who is uh, pretty well known in the space. He has an incredible channel, Help Me Devon, and he's an amazing artist himself. Mm -hmm. Uh, We... Just, I just sent an email, he found out about Lyric Studio, and he made this incredible video for us. Uh, amazing video, he just posted on his channel showing his sincere enthusiasm, and that's really what gave us our start with Lyric Studio. And that wasn't like, it wasn't even a very, it wasn't like a complicated business deal. He just genuinely fell in love with the product and wanted to share it with his audience, and that's what made it so powerful. So that was huge. I mean, on the business side, I mean, Kai Milderberger, who was who led our pre-seed successful serial entrepreneur he yeah. like every conversation with this man is just a gold mine um you know i came in six years ago having no business experience and you know a lot of academic experience which doesn't yes. translate very well and i feel like i've gotten a phd in running you know i got an mba in this process <laughs> on the ground experience um because of people who are really, really brilliant people who are willing to share their experience. I mean, I probably talk to at least three of our investors per week and they're, they're amazing people. <laughs> who are and you're the, still raising money, correct? You're still raising, uh, we're raising money, money or... right now. Yeah. Kind of in the middle of this process. Uh, what is that? B would it call it B or, or A? Uh, no, are you no, in... still kind of, you could call it an A, I guess. Yeah. yeah. C or an A, depending, yeah. depending how you want to play. <laughs> they're pretty arbitrary. Uh, really to push the API business. Cause that, that's where I see yes. a lot. A lot of opportunity see. power as an industry. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, in your line of work, uh, how do you stay updated to the latest trends, you know, in the industry? Oh, my goodness. There's so many changes, you know that, always, constantly. The moment anything of worse happens in the industry, yeah. I get three different people messaging me about it. It is, it's really like... So I you didn't, didn't have to go nowhere. They come to you. The latest trends, the latest changes. I get the same email three times from three different, and the three is a minimum. If it's something really important, I have like 10 people messaging me about it. It's really amazing. I can, it's a weird thing to say, but it's just true. I mean, I can sit in a bunker somewhere with no like internet access. And I think people would call me with the news. Interesting. <laughs> Interesting. I like that. You don't have to look for it. <laughs> no, no. If there's yeah. anything important, it finds me. That being said, of course, you know, I stay on top of the news. I don't take it passively. But it's um, there is no way I can miss something important. I find out the day off. <laughs> uh, listen, any advice, any uh, uh, tips or strategies for people trying to make it in the industry, uh, you know, in the music tech industry, you know, as you are. I'm going to call it music tech. But that's where you are really in. Get involved. This yeah. is the time. Get involved because everything, this is like streaming. Everything is changing right now. Yeah. Go for it. You have an idea, go for it. You don't have to be a machine learning genius. There's a lot of work you can do by licensing APIs and being a UI genius by, you know, having amazing connections so that you can be kind of the connector between tech 
and mm -hmm. music artists or you know other aspects of the industry now is the moment it's never easy honestly like there's no free lunch in running a business unless you're born into money and you can kind of just experiment and play with whatever you want with no personal consequences that's not the, that's not the reality for most people running yeah. a business is extremely difficult no matter what but if there was ever a time that it's where you can make an impact it's now Interesting. What is your latest development on Wave AI and any plans on the horizon? Yeah, so... Please. <laughs> the most amazing thing has been... Um, so it took me a long time to get comfortable with the idea of licensing our APIs. We uh -huh. built our own models. That's our, that's our golden goose. That's our magic. We have incredible machine learning models that help people make songs that power our direct-to-consumer yeah. product, Lyric Studio, Melody yeah. Studio. And then gradually it became more and more obvious to me that it's time to share that. And I've been having conversations with a lot of companies, a lot of individuals who want to build new products as well. And I've kind of realized that this is really where we stand to make the most impact, enabling mm -hmm. kind of the flourishing of this industry. And kind of a, a cool little timbit. Um, I kept telling people, you know, we have 60 people on the waiting list, 60 people. And I look again at 70. In the morning, I look yesterday and it's like 120 something. And wow. now, if I look at it, 165, it was 160 a few minutes ago. So this, this wait list of people wanting to get our APIs, most of them saying they want it as soon as possible. Oh, it's giving me tingles. It's so cool to imagine this whole ecosystem of products, new products, and the way that we can enrich existing offerings. Um, I think that's really... That's really the magic of, of having high quality machine learning models, high quality generative AI, is to, to see it embedded in the world. And that's what is I'm- Is Wave AI is the, new, is the new version of ChatGPT for the music business? Uh, yeah, that's, you, that's a good tagline. I like it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna see you put it tomorrow on LinkedIn, probably. I don't At least know, I, I get it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, for music i mean that's they're small agile models they're much yes. more um they're much faster they're easier to train we're also building custom models for people like let's say uh -huh. if an artist has their own catalog and they want yes. like grimes they want people to engage with their unique style that's also something that we're working on if a company has its own data set or whatever some other use case that that's not publicly available you know the fact that we can we can be like the background magicians and then the other companies, the other products can really. Are you the only one in your space actually doing what you're doing and licensing yeah. APIs also? Uh, I'm the only one doing exactly what we're doing. So kind of the, the, the songwriting layer. Yes. But there yes. are other people. There's a lot of people doing really, really cool work on generating the background music itself, not connected to lyrics or vocals. Mm -hmm. um, there are quite a few companies. Uh, a lot of them are B2C. Some of them are doing some B2B activity as well. Um, but licensing kind of lyric, vocal melodies, we're also doing some cool stuff with voices, sort of that layer. Uh, there is stuff in there that, that nobody else has. Mm, very interesting. Very, very interesting. Uh, anything else you want to add? Please feel free. Oh, this wonderful so business that you have, Wave AI. I'll plug in for you, Wave AI. <laughs> Appreciate it. Yes. Appreciate it. Uh, yes. No, I think we pretty much covered it. It's an excited moment, exciting moment yes. in the industry. If you're yes. a developer, if you're yeah. a company that wants to sort of enter the space, um, yeah. happy to chat. Great. 
Well, definitely you're very humble, doctor. You know, you don't want me to call you doctor in the beginning of the uh, interview, but you are one. Definitely you are. And I would say thank you for joining us today. And uh, this will conclude today's episode uh, of Soundbreaker. Please make sure to follow us uh, on social media and uh, just be tuned for the next episode. And thank you. Thank you so much for having me. My this podcast is presented by Music Dash, world's first AI-powered independent distribution CMS. If you enjoyed today's episode, make sure to share the Soundbreaker podcast. And if you are joining us on YouTube, please like this video and subscribe to the channel. Until next time.